Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat. Uh, yes, we do read that chat. Yes. We always are looking to involve you into the show. It's not just the mailbag episodes. It's every single time we get together uh, and very excited that we've got a bunch of you joining us here right now. If you're listening to us later or watching us later on YouTube, thank you so much. Uh, always, we appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, we've got one of our favorite episodes of the offseason as we will finally I mean, of course, we're probably jinxing this, but we're going to say the coaching carousel is done, at least at the head coaching level. We got another wave of assistant movement before we really start to recap and dive into the assistant coaching carousel. But one of our things that we are going to be getting into today is breaking down uh, some of the, the hires that stood out to us, some of the stories that stood out among the 24 coaching changes that took place at the FBS level during the 2022-2023 offseason. First, uh, want to begin with? Uh, we'll we'll just go right off the top since since y'all are asking. Um, tournament bracket in the chat asks Bud, what do you think about Nico and Danny White making the same salary for the Vols, two point two million dollars annually? Tournament bracket, like that is the most SEO name grab for a, a YouTube <laughs> user username. Ever. That that is that is fantastic. Um, I. I think this will. This is an interesting question here, right? So I would think the quarterback is probably worth more, but Denny White has done a great job at UCF. He's done a great job at Tennessee so far. Even the higher, like, do we really think Josh Heupel was his number one choice? I don't. It still worked out. That's great. Like, I thought, in worst case, they'll be exciting on offense, score a lot of points, and we'll see what the sanctions do. Best case, he works out. So far, it's been best case. Nico, though, is a really, really special tools-wise quarterback prospect. He would be like one of the very best volleyball players in the country if he was going to play college volleyball. Like, I, he's like an Olympic-level volleyball player if, if, if 
you know, if you want to kind of put it in that context, the guy's body control is nuts. He has a huge arm, really, really toolsy. And uh, you're always going to pay for the guys that, that can make, make special things happen on the field. Does, does Danny White make too much? I'm not going to count someone else's money. But I mean, <laughs> you can't pay the players out of your TV money. So you've got to go to someone. Are you going to pay Josh Heupel 11 million? You might already, as well pay the AD something. You've already put like water slides in the facilities. You've got like a thousand bench presses. You've got all the weights you're ever going to need. So like that money, it's just sitting there and it has to go somewhere. And the collectives pay the players. So yeah, I think, I mean, I saw, I don't know the stat, but I think he's now like a top eight paid athletic director in the yeah, country. Yeah, number one in the SEC. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I think he's underpaid. I think Danny White. Yeah, because you are already setting yourself up for having to deal with, the, you know, like one side of this. They've got incredible fundraising. They've got so much passion. Their NIL collective is is all like pooling together all this money, and he's done a good job of of helping oversee all of this operation. But if if things start to turn sour, you know who's whose number they're calling. You know, the guy that cut that big check, he he thinks he can go right to Danny's office. So you're gonna have to be the one to answer to it. It's it's gonna be a little difficult if uh some of those big boosters decide that they have the good ideas for how to fix something. And so, you know, when you have to manage those personalities and you have to manage those power brokers, it's a it could be a difficult difficult task. How much does the school president make? I imagine it is six figures easy, and if it is close to a mill, I would not be surprised. So, let's just say this: the school president's making seven hundred fifty grand, which is pretty nice, and your athletic director's making two point two million, so he's making about three times as much. At Tennessee, that makes sense. Who's in charge? I'm just saying, yeah. who's in charge? What do they say? the uh, The football program is the front porch of the university. Yeah, I'm just. Mm-hmm. It's optically, it is weird to me that. It's the football people and the athletic people making more at the schools, at the state schools, than anybody else. Just let that sink in a little bit. There's a lot of stuff that's weird about the college sports apparatus. Uh, Producer Jordan, who is a huge Tennessee fan, uh, as you know, we're a Tennessee podcast as well, uh, apparently. He says they are top six in every revenue sport, which I'm assuming that's basketball and football. Does Tennessee make money in baseball or women's hoops? Women's hoops, maybe. He says baseball, uh, baseball probably has a pretty good yes. turnout too. Yeah, baseball Look, probably. If you're just not uh, not in women's hoops, okay, so just just the three the three revenue in sports. But like, I assume that Tennessee doesn't lose horrendous amounts of money on women's basketball. So like, that's at least a plus compared to what a lot of a lot of schools do. Basketball doesn't lose a lot of money anyway, right? And in a low investment, like relatively to everything else that you've got, it's a lot of travel. Yeah. And you got to pay those players to come now. I mean, at what like, point though? To chip, like, what point does going to the boosters and asking them to give to the collectives after you've already been going to them for decades to put their names on buildings, to put you know, to put up locker rooms, to give all those things? Do they start looking around and realize, wait, we're paying Hypel nine million, and we we could be spending some of that money to the players? Like at some point, I do think it's going to have that transition, and maybe it's—I don't know. I just—I just think it's a fascinating dynamic that ha- somebody hasn't figured out yet. Been like, yeah, let's give that. Let's instead of paying our coach, where he's already handsomely paid and he's already you know at least adequately paid, we could be adding building our roster for him even more so. 
That's Bud's angle of the look at NFL player salaries to Mm -hmm. NFL coach salaries and and the way that those two things are set up. Because I know, Bud, your argument's always in why a player would be worth that. The other side is that the coaches are not worth that and that you end up bringing those down. That if we have have true collective bargaining, do you forecast that we would see coaching salaries come down? Um, I don't know about come down, but I do think that you would see a drastic – reduction in inflation over the coming years you would not see guys getting to that 15 20 million range like they're currently pacing to do Start you guys reducing- realize zach taylor is on the verge of potentially his second super bowl in a row and what he's done to this franchise and brought them i think he makes four million dollars a year maybe five i mean don't we think how many coaches could do what he's doing with, with Burrow and, and and with Chase and all those dudes? Like they drafted super high for a lot of years. That's kind of what the Bills GM said yesterday. They're like, "Well, you needed Jamar Chase." He's like, "Yeah, I don't want to suck bad enough to have a pick that allows me to pick Jamar Chase, right?" Yeah, but I think still, I think it's I think coaches matter way more in the NFL, and yet they're not paid as much as college coaches are. Like he doesn't have a talent. He has an incredible quarterback and he's got an incredible receiver and he's got a great, he's got a good team. But like the disparity between the Bengals and anybody on their roster is nowhere near yeah. the disparity that's, you know, even Tennessee versus, you know, the this teams that they have better talent than Kentucky, Vanderbilt, you know, in the East alone. He did uh, have that uh Bills defense we, reeling in that first we, half. Yeah. We did well, see some numbers, by the way, uh that like the highest paid NFL coaches are definitely making more than highest paid college coaches. Yes. Yeah. 14, 15. Not all of them. Like the disparity seems to be greater. Like the 30th NFL coach does not make as much as the 30th college coach, but the top guys like a Belichick, Sean Payton, uh, you know, whatever the guy is at the, uh, the Rams. Um, yeah. Payton's about to get 20. Yeah. Right. To coach the Cowboys. <laughs> you don't think it's going to happen? I don't know. I think he's going to Broncos. That's just me. Do you think Jerry Jones would let somebody that wants as much control as Sean Payton coach the Cowboys? If if, no, but if Jerry Jones ever actually wants to win, he probably should consider it. (laughs) I think I think Jared wants to win Jared's way. Yeah. Speaking of uh, speaking of money, um, LSU has accidentally overpaid Brian Kelly by a million dollars. In 2022, their plan as a university, and by the way, LSU is like fi- financial um, concerns around the Louisiana State University system has. Uh, this is not a maybe new, now we know why. This is not <laughs> a new uh, story. Um, and, you know, they say they're going to try to recoup it by 2023. Uh, has this ever happened to y'all? And would you give the money back? Um, I have never accidentally been paid a million dollars. No. <laughs> and if I had been paid a million dollars accidentally, I probably wouldn't even notice because I already get paid so much more than that as it is. So, you know, whatever. No. Um, <laughs> no, hell. Yeah, I'd probably give it back. Because if I'm getting, if I'm accidentally getting paid a million dollars, I'm probably pretty okay. You, you have to give it back if you work for a state school. Like the state will definitely come after you if you don't Would give it Brett back. Would Brett Favre give it back? No. <laughs> I would just, you give it back or would you? So I would set it aside. I well, wouldn't just, spend just, it. Yeah, you take, yeah. take a little Cut bit off right there. Paychecks. And then the question is, how long do you wait? Like, how long do you think you're in the clear? Like, is it a few years? And then you're like, now you can splurge? 
or is it seven years? Like what's the statute of limitations there when they could get it? That's probably what I would do. It's just kind of set it aside. Yeah. Oh yeah. I got it. I've been waiting for you to call me. Here you go. Here's Daddy's money like, back. Yeah. Like, I didn't like, know yeah, where yeah. to give it. I'm going like, to need somewhere another, along those lines. I'm going to need another couple of months. It's not liquid right now. I'm going to need another couple of months. <laughs> Did you guys see the details of the, uh, there was 6.7. Um, there was also 6.7 misclassified in severance payments as coaching salaries, benefits, and bonuses on its statement of revenues and expenses. Um, now, if I was fired and they overpaid me in a severance payment, we might be talking about something different. We might try to keep it a little bit longer and maybe even try to fight for it. So that means either like less miles as money went to Ed Ogeron or Ed Ogeron's mm-hmm. money went to less yeah. miles. And they've mm. got it. like, and then you know what I would do? I would, I would just let them sort it out. Okay. Yeah. Like, you guys have to go and figure that out. Um, yeah. Brian Kelly uh, will. Do you think he noticed? No, no direct 100%. deposit, man. How yeah. many times are you checking your bank account to see exactly what amount was put in there? Every two weeks. <laughs> Did actually it, we should, I should be better about that. Yeah, you know, maybe had, I should be too. I've, I've had the opposite. You know, we're like the rays should have come through. Wait a second. Wasn't this number supposed to change? <laughs> I'm looking at deductions. Yeah. Wait, how much was I given there? Yeah. Did somebody who Brian Kelly pays to manage his money notice? Because like I bet you Brian Kelly doesn't check his own checking yeah. account. But he probably has somebody who's his, his financial. Did you, know, you see guy. how it went? So he had he has an LLC, and they were double paying. So they were paying his LLC, and they were paying him personally, which I could see oh, that hustle. unfolding. Hell it's a yeah, great hustle. hustle. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Hi, LLC I'm Brian Kelly, the, Limited Liability Corporation. Nice to meet you. <laughs> isn't the LLC how you like make the like the coaching clinics, and and when you do all the yeah. other anything non employee related? Yeah. yeah. Like all, all your Nike stuff, all of your coaching clinics, when you get to go on tour, when you get paid. You guys don't have LLCs? No. Should I start one? Yeah. I have Can you help sure. me? Hey, right, we'll I have other gigs though. There. So yeah. that's why yeah. I have one. <laughs> um, I, I did. I, I launched an LLC for a production company uh, maybe about 12, 13 years ago, but I'm, I am off of that LLC uh, at this point. I had to, had to re- it had, re- it had re- a history of problematic tweets and chip. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I had to step away from that one. Uh, <laughs> all right. So as I mentioned, one of our big things that we like to do every single off season is, is pick a point and say, this is when it's time uh, for us to look back and recap the entire coaching carousel. So, in the 2022-2023 coaching carousel, we had 24 FBS jobs change hands. 11 of them were at the Power 5 level. 13 of them are at the Group of 5 level. Yes, I am counting Cincinnati as Power 5 because they're a Big 12 team for the uh, 2023 season. Speaking of, uh, Cincinnati, Charlotte, FAU, Liberty, North Texas, UAB, Six of the schools that had coaching changes are all going to be in new conferences coming up. Uh, of the 11 Power 5 jobs, seven of them were coach firings where they needed to replace them. Uh, more of a domino effect at Cincinnati, Louisville, and Purdue. And of course, tragically, Mississippi State's uh, change coming in the wake of Mike Leach's death. Uh, Arizona State, Auburn, Cincinnati, Colorado, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Mississippi State, Nebraska, Purdue, Stanford, and Wisconsin. Those are your Power 5 jobs that changed hands. Charlotte, 
Coastal Carolina, FAU, Kent State, Liberty, Navy, North Texas, Texas State, Tulsa, UAB, UNLV, USF, and Western Michigan were the group of five jobs that will have new head coaches going into the 2023 season. And now, over the next four hours, we will give detailed grades and breakdowns for every single one of these 24 uh, head coaching changes. No, let's let's start up with just some general questions. Um, What is your favorite hire of the cycle? Danny, why don't you get us started? Favorite hire for me? Yeah. Luke Fickle going to Wisconsin. I think think it was the right time for him to jump there. I think it's a program where he'll have a bigger profile, be able to recruit better than what's been there. And I think he's a player development guy. Like I think he's, He's created NFL talent, what he did at Cincinnati, and I think he'll I think he'll crush it at Wisconsin. Now the question is, crush it may not look this like they may not get to the big title, Big Ten title game every year when they go away from divisions, but I think he's going to crush it. Does that make sense? Like I don't yeah. know if he cracks into that Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State territory. Occasionally he will. But I don't think it's going to be like a perennial. You know, there were some years where they had a nice stretch of Big Ten title runs. They get beat, but they still got there. Yeah, you think he's capable pretty much of like putting Wisconsin where Wisconsin had been before it kind of started to fall off the last few years, where it's it might not be Ohio State or Michigan or whoever the best team in the conference is on a year-to-year basis, but it's always going to be up there with the best teams. It's going to be a perennially ranked kind of team going to big bowl games. And maybe in a great year, something special happens and they pick off a conference title. I also think the fact that he's bringing in Phil Longo to run the offense, like, Let's see if you can get it done in the cold. If you can, you know, can you bring that out to Wisconsin? So I'm excited from that aspect because if it works, maybe you can shake things up and then you can take it to that next level. Yeah, that's the most interesting thing about that hire to me because it there's a history of that offense not working very well in the Big Ten, and especially at Wisconsin, where the one thing that state in that region kind of produces with regularity are not the typical offensive linemen that play in those offenses. So we'll see. It's going to be interesting to see. I think that, you know, with the transfer portal, with the way things are nationally recruiting now, it probably won't be a big, as big of a deal as it had been in recent years, but it's it's still going to be interesting to watch. Does Fickle have the um, the war chest or the support? You know, one thing we talked about in terms of his exit from Cincinnati was feeling like they were good at player evaluation, getting in on guys early, but then losing those battles late in the recruitment do like Bud? Do we think that at Wisconsin he's going to be able to have uh, access to to more resources and unlock some of that on the talent acquisition side of things? I I do. Yeah. Remember last summer? I mean, didn't Wisconsin make a play for Caleb Williams? Yes. Mm-hmm. Too. Like they. I I think Wisconsin has leveled up its name, image, and likeness program. Some. I I think NIL, or rather the lack of it, was one of the driving factors for Fickle leaving Cincinnati and going to Wisconsin. In addition to the fact that. Sorry, Cincinnati fans, but history kind of shows when, when you join a new league, more often than not, you take the check, you take the losses that, that, are, that are coming. So his stock was probably going to drop in, in the near term at Cincinnati a little bit, even though I think we had all really appreciated what he had done when since he was a G5. So, yeah, I, I think Wisconsin will be a bigger player in NIL, and they have to be if they want to compete in the new Big Ten because, like, yeah, that, that offense didn't always work. It The fact that it didn't work in the Big Ten West – Put that thing in the East and see that that leads to more blowout losses rather than just close losses. 
Yeah, I saw a note from uh, ESPN's David Hale. He's a huge fan of the podcast. Uh, he was mentioning the most blowout, most uh, results by 21 points or more in conference games. The Big Ten, far and away. I mean, some of it, they got 14 teams, but so does the ACC, so does the SEC. The Big Ten had 23 conference games decided by 21 points or more. More blowouts in 2022 in the Big Ten than anywhere else. I love this comment from William in the chat watching us live. He said it's his least favorite hire because it scares him as a Minnesota Golden Gophers fan. Um, but what was your Fraudulent favorite ass Gophers. <laughs> <laughs> but what was your favorite hire? So I my favorite hire I think was was Kenny Dillingham to Arizona State. Maybe not the best hire, but I think it's my favorite for a couple of reasons. One, Herm Edwards left a smoking crater coming out of Tempe. Like that that program is not in good shape or at least it was not they really didn't recruit the high school level at all over the last few years. They, they weren't good. And so they are set up for a long rebuild. And I think if, if you're going to take a guy as young as Dillingham, who is the youngest head coach in college football, I'm barely certain now, he's going to need some runway. He's probably going to make a couple of mistakes, but he's an Arizona State guy. That's a job I know for a long time that he has really kept an eye on. I think he's going to try to do a good job connecting with the local high schools. If you're going to go and hire the guy who really wants the job, the, the native son, if you will. I think going and taking a, a young dude like that, giving him some time to make some mistakes and make some improvements along the way, there's not going to be a lot of pressure to win early at Arizona State, given how bad that they've been and how the administration should at least understand like just how negligent Herm Edwards and those guys were the last couple of years recruiting-wise. And there's a decent chance they get hit with sanctions too, right? So I think having somebody you're going to give a lot of runway to to negotiate it is the right move to make there. So I, I'm going to go kind of Dillingham from Arizona State. Yeah, and it's also my favorite hire. I'm in agreement on it for a lot of those reasons because like, I, we talked about it when all these jobs were coming open about when we were ranking them, like what's the most attractive P5 jobs. And like, Bud, you've talked about too, the amount of people from California that are kind of moving to Arizona and that region, it's a, it's a growing population state, which means the high school talent in that state is going to start improving as these years go on. And Kenny Dillingham's taken over. And like you were saying, he's already kind of started to repair the relationships between Arizona State and those high schools that kind of really deteriorated in the last few years. They're bringing a lot of local kids who left back via the transfer portal. They're kind of, you know, trying to, to try to rebuild those relationships. And I think long term, like I don't think Arizona State's going to be great in the next couple of seasons i think it could get to a bowl game in a year or two but i think that if you try to look at what the plan is here kenny dillingham wanting to be there and wanting to be there for the yeah. long haul and the overall arching kind of picture of what they're trying to do i think that this was one of the best hires it's my favorite hire it's gonna be really interesting for me to watch i can't wait i'm weirdly i've, I've got no stake in this but if Jaden rashada goes to arizona state that's a super fun sort of story to follow in terms of Rashada landing at a place with a young head coach who's done really good job with quarterbacks. Drew Pine is obviously already in there in that quarterback room, but that would be like as Rashada's looking at his options and what are we thinking like Arizona State, TCU, probably are the the two front runners there. Am I correct? Yeah, like secondary options, Washington. I I could see maybe some kind of sign and day shocker again with with the buffs. Don't think so, but I guess you can't rule it out. They do have a flair for the dramatic there in Colorado. So I, TCU and Arizona State, I think, are the, the two most likely at this point. Yeah, if Dillingham was able to to land that, then I think that that would be the kind of you know big 
you know, sell attraction, you know, ways that you can continue to, uh, to mo- promote that program uh, moving forward. Um, what about the, so, you know, Kenny Dillingham, not necessarily the best. What about the coach that is set up for immediate success? Like when we look at 2023, uh, who of these 24 coaches do you think is best set up uh, to win like right away, Tom? Uh, Luke Fickle. I think that it's obviously they're bringing in Longo, a completely new offense, but they have a very good running back in Braylon Allen. He's taking over a team that talent-wise is pretty good. Defensively, they're still going to be pretty good if they need to. And like Phil Longo, you think of that offense as, you know, like throwing the ball all over the place. You can run the ball just as effectively in that offense as you can throw it. And so I think that what you're probably going to see is they're going to lean more on Braylon Allen in the run game, spread things out. It's going to look different, but they're still going to be a very run-heavy football team next year. And I just think that given what that program has been the last couple of seasons, I don't think Wisconsin is going to be winning the Big Ten or anything, but I do think that they're going to be better than they were this year right away. And I think that they're going to be, you know, probably one of the favorites to win the Big Ten West as long as it's still in existence for another year at most, probably. Braylon Allen, so cold-blooded, jumping on Twitter saying he's so excited not to have to face nine-man boxes anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. He's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a guy that knows football and understands what's happening as the uh, the winds are shifting. I also have Fickle as my coach that is set up for immediate success just because they're – I don't think that while we had dropped off, it wasn't that long ago that Wisconsin was – shoot top five in the college mm-hmm. football playoff rankings. I mean, the the general infrastructure and the bones around Madison are still very good and fickle such a stud. Um, my my favorite, by the way, was Dion, but this is the coach that is set up for immediate success. Uh, I, I like fickle here. Um, but but what's your where, where are you going for the coach to set up for immediate success? I'm, I'm going Dion. Yes, immediate says they, they won one ball game last year. They were non-competitive in almost every one of their other games. I'm mean, just scrolling here. I think their lowest margin of, of loss so far is uh, 43 to 20. Well, and they gave okay. TCU hell for like TCU. 20 minutes. Yeah, and then TCU won by 25. Uh, <laughs> Arizona State, the only loss by by 18 to Arizona State. So, or that's that's not too bad. Look, I I think Dion got there. He immediately got Cormani McLean, which is a nice way to, to kickstart that thing. You only have to improve upon one one win and being one of the literally worst teams, not only in the Power Five, but in all of college football last year. They were non-competitive almost every time that they rolled the ball out there. So Dion got them to change the policies, or they decided to change the policies in order to, to hire Dion, which is smart. He's going to take want to take a bunch of transfers like he did at Jackson State. They're up to 23 transfers now. Previously, you really couldn't get transfers in there academically. The, the school wouldn't play ball with the coaching staff. So this roster is just going to be a hell of a lot better than it was last year. Also, what a success at Colorado. Four wins to me is a pretty good success this year. If he somehow lucks out and makes a bowl, that's a huge success. Like Three wins is probably going to be viewed as a success in Boulder this year if it happens. So I'm going to go Dion in Colorado. Three, Three wins, wins is not going to be seen as a success. I agree with your point that maybe it should be. And I, I gave the example of Lance Ipold in his first year. They had two wins, but at the end of the year, they beat Texas. Like if Dion gets a signature win, somehow knocks off, pulls off a big upset, and they have three wins, and you see progress towards year two, then yes. But other than that, three wins is going to be 
oh, was this a mistake? I think that's going to, and I, I agree with you, bud, but I think from the, it's, it's just Dion. He is a, a lightning rod and people have strong opinions on him, and they're going to expect them to go over. So let me ask you this though, bud, because I, if we're doing it like wins over last year, turnaround that I might change my answer. But if you're, if the, if it's set at four and a half, are you liking the over? Potentially. Um, I need to think about who else they bring in, but like Arizona's not had a good year in the portal. The a lot of their best players got taken. I I don't think Oregon State can actually be any better than it was last year. Like they they seem to be at the very top of their range based on the way that they recruit players. We don't know what Nebraska is. Nebraska was pretty terrible down the stretch. Colorado State was one of the few teams that I think was probably actually worse than Colorado. Stanford again down the stretch, just as bad as Colorado was, in, in my opinion. Uh, Arizona State could be horrible, right? Like, they brought in a bunch of transfers, too, but they were not any good last year. Um, Washington State, I think they'll be an underdog there. I, they're like big underdogs in probably five games, favored in probably one or two, right? Like, I think I would make them a favorite over Stanford right now. And then that leaves five other games where they'll probably be underdogs but not massive underdogs so can you can you run good in those can you spring one big upset and three minor upsets and not lose stanford and colorado state and get to a bowl it's it's possible like the rest the bottom half of this league is not doing well in the portal my concern in this we'll talk about this in the win totals later in the summer but like the schedule starts at tcu nebraska colorado state at oregon usc they could easily be like one in four out the gate and how does this team respond to a one and four start when everybody's all pumped up coming in a whole bunch of new players, you get off to a rough start. It'll be interesting to see what happens from that point on. But if they start three and oh, oh if they start three and oh, they're winning. Oh, they're winning oh, they're, oh, they're going to the playoffs. If they start three and oh, like yeah. they can, I've played out in my mind, go three and oh, in non-con and then one and eight in conference play, but it won't matter. It's a success, right? Because the steam of momentum and of excitement that would happen if they go into Fort Worth and beat TCU, if they beat uh, Nebraska in the home opener for Dion in Boulder, followed up with the Colorado State win, also a home game, then it, it really almost doesn't matter from there because we would expect success. It's obvious. He's got it. This is, this is going to be it. We just get so clouded late in the season with everything else that's going on. That I think the non for perception purposes – the non-conference schedule is going to mean more in terms of the way we talk about Dion. The first reactions, you know, the first impressions are going to be uh, strong in terms of the way that we ultimately grade this. Like Kansas, which got it six, you know, came out the gate, was at 5-0 and start, but then that sixth win took a little bit before they finally punched that ticket, you know, mm-hmm. so came back to earth just a little bit. So I, I think that the, the start will be, uh, will be very important in terms of the way we talk about it. Ultimately, that's just talk. Uh, Danny, who's your coach for uh, immediate success? Uh, I went with Jeff Brom at Louisville. Uh, the fact that he inherited the eight-win team, uh, he obviously – I mean, I think he could go eight and four, and they'll love it just because it's him coming back yes. home. Like, I mean, but that – but I also think the ACC, the lack of depth in the ACC opens the opportunity for a team that's pretty good to go to really good pretty fast. So I think in year one, he could get to nine wins, potentially ten. I don't know their schedule pulled up in front of me, but um, Jack Plummer coming in from Cal, I think he's he's shown proof that his system works with good quarterbacks. I think he'll be able to develop him. So I put Jeff Brom at Louisville. 
they miss both Clemson and Florida State. Members of the ACC Atlantic, since they joined uh, the conference, playing Clemson and Florida State every single season, the reshuffled ACC with no divisions and just three permanent partners, Clemson and Florida State, not one of the permanent partners for the Louisville Cardinals. That is, that's good this year. That's good next year, um, especially with everything that is looking at right now. They do get Notre Dame, but they get Notre Dame at home. Um, their non-con is Murray State, Indiana, and Kentucky. Kentucky, Notre Dame, maybe. Yeah, Kentucky, Notre Dame, Murray State, Indiana. So, Chip, I'm just pulling this up here. They also draw Georgia Tech, which is a, a great one to get because I, I don't think they're going to be better. Boston College, which we'll see if they're any good. Skeptical. Virginia, still no confidence in that coaching staff. Virginia Tech was horrible last year. Duke was better, but not. Danny, I think this is a 10 and 2 team. Yeah, Danny. I, <laughs> Let's go. They do yeah. have Notre Dame. So, like, they yeah, could be a top 15 Dame. finisher that play, like, you could play at a top 35 level, not even top 25 level, and run good a little bit. And go nine and three, ten and two here. Rip rip off wins uh, against you know BC, Virginia, Duke, NC State, and all of a sudden you're looking up at a, a pretty successful season. Uh, I, I like Jeff Brom. That's that he for sure uh, is going to be dealing with a uh, different goalposts than anybody else, thanks to his uh, his long term uh, relationship with Louisville, the area, and the university. It's a pretty good fit. Is it the best fit? We'll get our best fit from the 2022-23 coaching carousel. And after talking about the coach that's set up for immediate success, who's going to need some patience? We'll identify a couple coaches who are positioned for success down the road and much more as we recap the coaching carousel next. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where the roommates It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast, we've identified a couple coaches that are set up for immediate success. Luke Fickle, Jeff Brom, uh, even Deion Sanders in terms of the steps that he can take year over year. What about coaches that are positioned for success down the road? Um, Tom, why don't you get us started? Uh, I, I mean, there could be immediate success here, too. So I'm not you know dismissing that as a possibility, but I just think long term this could work really well. Jamie Chadwell at Liberty. I mean, we saw what he was able to build at Coastal Carolina. 
in the Sun Belt in a short amount of time. And Liberty is joining Conference USA. But it is not really Conference USA anymore. Like, if, I'm just going to go over Liberty's schedule this year. I mean, the non-con will change, but the rest of it will mostly be the same in coming years. They start with Bowling Green, New Mexico State, and at Buffalo. Conference play begins with at FIU, Sam Houston, at Jacksonville State, Middle Tennessee, at Western Kentucky, Louisiana Tech, Old Dominion, another non-con against UMass, and then they finish at UTEP. Not trying to dismiss some of those teams, but when you look at the budgets of the athletic departments of these schools compared to Liberty, that is a program that will probably be dominating Conference USA for a while. So they're going to have more money than their competition, and they've got a very good coach. It just strikes me that the long term, Jamie Chadwell at Liberty is probably going to work pretty well. Totally agree. The, the reason I put him in this is because I think Freeze was recruiting a roster to get Freeze a job somewhere else, and I'm not really sure what he's left Chadwell there. We already know Chadwell can coach. Like The guy's pretty clearly a, a really good coaching coach. They evaluate pretty well. Liberty is going to have way more money than anybody else in the CUSA. And like Tom mentioned, the schedule, I mean, Chadwell's going to win 10 ball games a year once he gets this thing rolling. And then he'll be able to probably pick his job uh, wh- where he wants to go, I, I would think. Or he'll stay in Virginia 10 years and, and you know bank 40 or 50 million bucks and his kids can go to the same high school uh, and, and not have to move around a whole lot. Like that's not the worst life either as you can consistently you know, win the CUSA. And if you're the best G5 team, uh, maybe you get a shot to go to the playoff one year. Who knows? Uh, so I, I think this one makes a lot of sense for, for best long-term. I'm going to go with Tom Herman at FAU. I think the decision to move on from Willie Taggart is because Lane Kiffin showed you that you can win a whole lot of ball games. Now, life's going to be a little bit tougher as FAU is leaving the Cusa and joining the American Athletic Conference. But I thought that Tom Herman is in a position where uh, he can build this thing out. And look, I maybe Tom Herman wants a Lane Kiffin, you know, fast track. Yeah, FAU gets you back into the Power Five, but if if he does stick around for you know even two three four years, then I think that he's got an FAU team that is going to be uh, competing to be a top four top five team in the American Athletic Conference. You hit on a couple right positions, you get the transfer portal going, then you might be <clears throat> you might be able to compete for a conference championship. I think that remember this is a program what twenty years old. That's it. I mean, yeah. yeah. Howard Schnellenberger came in, got things rolling. We haven't had uh, a whole lot of coaches to be able to really judge, you know, judge what can happen. But Lane Kiffin, I think, opened the door and showed you how it can work there. Willie Taggart didn't meet that. He just went 11 and 11 in conference play against Conference USA competition. I think that Tom Herman's going to be able to unlock this. And this is taking a step too far, I'm sure. But Tom Herman must know that he can unlock something special there at FAU or else he would not have taken that job. So I'm, I I like Tom Herman. If he does stick around for uh, several years to be able to be really successful at FAU. They have a great stadium on campus. It's perfect size. They have new facilities. It's in Florida, South Florida. Like you can attract a lot of guys, a lot of players might slip through the cracks. And I think you're totally right. I think Lane Kiffin kind of showed you the blueprint of how you could win, and I'd be surprised if Herman doesn't too. I mean, I, and I don't want to bash anybody, but the previous coach really kind of showed his hand the last few stops where he was not the best head man at the helm. Yep. 
isn't there also the opportunity um, to to look at uh, players from South Florida who go somewhere else and the one-time transfer, and it's like, and it doesn't stick at these mm-hmm. other schools. Mm-hmm. You get to say, hey, you know, first, these, these last two years have been tough. You're not getting to play as much as you wanted. Why don't you come on home? You know, like, why don't you come on back to South Florida? It would be more comfortable. Yeah, I mean, like, West Virginia recruits Florida. Um, You know, all these schools that are further north that recruit Florida, you know, go find the players that are super talented that just aren't a good roster fit and not playing as much as they want to. You get to be a great landing spot uh, in the transfer portal era for sure. Danny, who you got? Uh, long-term. So I went with, cause I saw Bud did short-term. So maybe it was a reaction to Bud short-term. Cause I said, Deion Sanders long-term. But when I said long-term, I think year three is the year you could see the results. I know Joe Klatt, former Colorado Buffalo, uh, has said year two, he thinks they're going to make the playoff. What? I wouldn't. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah no, Joel's, Joel's so pumped up. He's out racing Ralphie right now. He thinks yes, he is. Back. He is, but he did, he did qualify. And I think his reasoning made some sense, but that's why I pushed back on two years. And I would say year three, because we're getting expansion because USC, UCLA are leaving uh, Oregon, Washington, Utah are still going to be in the PAC 12. So you still have to go through those teams, which have been really good. Um, but like, you're going to see continued growth of the, the recruiting prowess and the transfer portal prowess that he's already showed. So I would say if, if, the school is patient with them, which I think they will be. Why wouldn't they? They're more relevant already without any results. Like if the school is patient, I think I think Dion will work over the long run. And I think he will compete for Pac-12 titles. And I think that does put you in the playoff conversation. So I wouldn't go as far as year two, but I think long term, and it's crazy that we even say long term is three years. But I think in year three, you could see them contending for the Pac-12. So We've uh, we've listed some coaches that we think are going to be poised for success right away. We've listed some coaches that we think are going to be uh, successful a little bit down the road. One coach that we have not mentioned at all so far in this process, I'm curious to get y'all's take on it. What are the expectations? What are your expectations for the Matt Rule era at Nebraska? Because we're picking a lot of different ways to break down this coaching carousel, a lot of different you know jobs to highlight. You know our favorite hire, uh, biggest risk, best fit. You know set up for immediate long term success. And uh, I, not a single one of us has singled out anything like that stands out about Matt Rule to Nebraska. So what, what, what is going to happen with Matt Rule's tenure at Nebraska? I don't know. That's think, why he has not been singled out. Any of these. Any yeah, of like, these superlatives. I mean, I, I was very – I when this job came open, Matt, Matt Rule was one of the people I said that made the most sense to me for Nebraska. He was somebody I think they should go after. And I think Matt Rule has proven from his time at Temple and his time at Baylor that he knows how to build a program. But I've just reached a point in my personal relationship with Nebraska where I'm not assuming anything anymore. It's like, I don't care. Like, I thought Scott Frost was going to be a grand slam for Nebraska. It just made too much sense. And we saw how it went. So for that program with me right now, I'm just in a man. They could hire Nick Saban, and I'm not going to be out here saying they're back. I need to wait and see it. It just it, That's the way I approach everything with the Cornhuskers right now. I'll say the coach that definitely will do better than the last one. It's Matt, Matt Rule. Yeah. Yeah. Because I do think he'll be better. I think he's he's... 
He's more prepared, even though, I mean, I know Scott Frost, you know, won the title in 2017 at UCF, but he was still a little green. That size of program, the scope was, it just felt like it may be a little bit too soon. I think Matt Rule will do a better job than Scott Frost. I just don't know if I'm willing to go out there and say with the confidence like Luke Fickle could get, you know, 10, 11 wins at Wisconsin. I don't know. I'm not ready to go there yet, but I don't think it's going to be like, I don't think it's a, a risky hire. I don't think it's a bad hire. I just think like, I'm kind of with Tom. Like, I need to see what this looks like. I, I think he will do well there. Um, the problem is the the change of divisions, right? Like, now N- Nebraska was floundering at a time when it was not having to consistently play the best teams in the conference. You play one, sometimes two per year. Now you're going to have to play those teams much more often, and you have fewer guaranteed wins, period. So – Nebraska is like so much of a tougher job now than it was. Wisconsin as well, but Wisconsin has a little more proven track record that, that I trust they they generally have their act together, whereas behind the scenes at Nebraska, I I don't know that they do. They might. I think Matt Rule's a guy that is a good consensus builder. I think he's very smart in his hires for the most part in terms of hiring guys who are going to connect in the areas that you need to recruit. A lot of this is going to come down to how many players can Nebraska buy, right? Because – if I'm, if I'm asking you to go away from home nowadays, it's going to take a check. And there's not a lot of good talent in the state of Nebraska. They will recruit extremely toolsy guys. Like that is that is Matt Rule's thing to a T. If you're super raw, can't play a lick of football right now, but you have really good testing numbers and you have length, they are confident in their developmental program. And Baylor proved that, I think, to a certain extent, and Temple as well, that they can turn some good football players out from there. So I think it's more likely to work than not, uh, but I don't know that it's a, a complete guarantee that, that he's going to kill it. He was able to have Baylor playing for a Big 12 title in year three, mm-hmm. and he did it with a group that, I mean, he started a bunch of freshmen his first year, and they lost a lot. I don't think Nebraska will lose as much as that first Baylor team lost. Incredibly different situations, clearly, but I I would say that if Matt Rule is uh, if Matt Rule is bumping his head against the top of the Big Ten after year three or year four, then I don't know. Nebraska could get restless. I'm very curious to see what uh, what they think uh, about the expectations there. I I don't have a a fantastic read on that. And also, like Matt Rule not being cut out for not being cut out of failing at the NFL level. As soon as it was obvious that it wasn't going to work out with the Carolina Panthers, everyone just said, oh, well, he's going back to college. Like, okay. All right. We just spent all this time with Matt Rule coming back to college in our lives. I feel like he's part of the old coaching cycle. So uh, now we finally get to go see it. Uh, welcome back, Matt. It's like you never left. All right. What about the best fit, Tom? What was the best fit of all the hires in this coaching cycle? Oh, there's another one that I know you and Butter are in agreement on that I thought was the obvious one. So I kind of switched directions a little here because I figured we'd already be talking about it. I went with Hugh Freeze at Auburn. I just Auburn is a circus, so why not hire a guy who coached a game from a hospital bed in a press box? I think it's a great fit too. I mean, like let's stop pretending. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a great fit. I I went with uh, with Jeff Brom. I mean, yeah. even when Scott Satterfield was winning, Louisville wanted to hire Jeff Brom. Like, he's the native son. He is Louisville. If he can coach a game with a bourbon in his hand and, and drop 50 points on people, I think, like, they would give him an extra million-dollar bonus for that. It just – he look, 
he played there. He's from there. His whole family is mobbed up there. Like that's the guy you go get, man. And and, and the guy can coach ball. So I think it's a great fit. The glasses I, will be clinking in the Angels Envy Lounge in <laughs> Cardinal Stadium. <laughs> Jeff Brom on the side. Yeah, it's, it was an obvious one, but I, you know, I was best fit's going to be Jeff Brom. Danny, what what would you end up going with? So I wanted to go somebody different because I saw who you guys were going with, and I don't know if his family's mobbed up there in Atlanta, but I went with Brent Key, who was an all Amer- all ACC offensive lineman at Georgia Tech. I think, too, like he's unassuming. He just wants to get to work. Like I think it fits the mentality of what has won in the past at Georgia Tech. I also love that at least we saw a team that had some life and pulled off an upset. You know, like at least we saw a team that wanted to fight and play for their head coach. Um, So I'm kind of excited to see what he can do now that this is his team. But as far as fit, you know, I went with the former player route, too, with Brent Key. Yeah, the environment – and like – Georgia Tech home games are not a home field advantage that you're like adjusting your power ratings for, but there have been games and where it is a a rocking rock Thursday night ACC games that used yep. to happen. It was loud, yeah, yeah. And I felt like during a couple of those, I mean, he went four and four um, as a, as an interim coach during this past season, and there were a couple of those wins along the way where. Obviously, the stadium was not full, but you could look in the student section, like the win against uh, the win against Duke. You could just see that there was like a lot of energy there that certainly was reflecting what we had seen on the sideline with the team starting to buy in. So, I'm rooting for Brent Key to uh, to pull Georgia Tech out and at least have them feeling better about themselves. I, I think it's a great fit, obviously, but also I am I'm just skeptical of Georgia Tech's program right now. The, the AD they hired is, is a fundraiser. I believe that they hired him for a reason because I think they're kind of broke, to be honest. And I guarantee you that is the perception of Georgia Tech's job amongst other coaches. And I think that's one of the main reasons why they went internal is because they did not have the money to assemble the coaching staffs that the guys they went after, that they actually wanted initially, would have wanted to bring along. Like I don't think their assistant pool – and analyst pool was anywhere near up to snuff. And that's why I think you hire a fundraiser at AD to maybe get it. So like I'm rooting for Brent Key. I thought he did a really good job when he was at UCF. I think the guy's probably a pretty damn good coach. And Georgia Tech may have like not lucked themselves in it, but like broke themselves into a good hire. I just hope that they give him enough money to hire the assistant coaches that he actually wants to hire. So uh, Hugh Freeze and, again, counting Luke Fickle here were coaches that jumped from Group of Five to Power Five. Deion Sanders and Troy Taylor jumped from FCS to Power Five. Uh, G.J. Kinney jumped from FCS to Group of Five as he lands at Texas State. And so what do we think will happen with Trent Dilfer making the historic move from the high school ranks to the American Athletic Conference where UAB will be playing in 2023? What's going to happen there? <laughs> All right, time for the biggest risk category here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because it is it a is it truly a risky play? I I had this as my biggest risk, though. I don't really think any of the hirings made this cycle are like a huge risk. You know what I mean? I just think that there's a risk in that UAB is making the move from Conference USA to the American. So it is stepping up a class because Conference USA the last few years has not been very strong and even though the american is losing some of its strongest conferences it is still going to be probably the best g5 league for at least the next few years i think the sunbelt will catch up eventually but 
you're hiring somebody who does not have the experience and you're stepping up in difficulty. And is the program far as player and talent wise ready for it? And you have a coach coming in who might not be, you, you know, I, I, there's, there was a lot of pushback on Dilfer being hired in the first place because of a lack of experience. That didn't bother me as much because you always hear people complaining about coaches, retread coaches getting job after job after proving they can't do it. So it's like you can't turn around and be as upset when somebody that has isn't a retread gets the job. But there is reason to wonder without that experience, what's the learning process going to be for Trent Dilfer at the college level? Because, yeah, he won at high school, but there's still a pretty big difference in coaching a private high school compared to what you're going to be coaching now at UAB in the American Athletic Conference. So at a time where UAB kind of needs to hit the ground running in the American, I think it's risky because they could need a little more time. Trent Dilfer could need a little kind of, you know, more runway to really get that thing going. Does it make sense about like if, if Trent Dilfer got a job in the NFL as a head coach going from high school, I'd almost have more confidence in that than college because of, there's so much ancillary stuff that you mm -hmm. have to worry about. And then in the NFL, it's just you're doing the same thing you were doing in high school. You're just coaching. You're just X's and O's like you're coaching. Being a head coach at a college football program is such a unique job. I don't know. I just feel like that's the only – I love Trent, and I hope it works. I'll be rooting for him. But I do think it is one of the riskier hires. Yeah, I, I, I too know Trent. Like I've known him for a long time, doing all the eleven stuff. It's just that is risky to take a high school coach, stick him right in college, and he played in the NFL. So like, there's, it's not just some random high school coach, and and it, it's worked out in some other places. Like Dion had not been a head mm -hmm. coach before, right? So. You know, like maybe it works, but I think the added challenge of going up a league and into a much better league, I might add is uh is is important and you know, as we've mentioned here before when talking about the hire like the dude is a football junkie yes. like just like speaks it breathes it is so passionate about it if he's going to be able to to sell that on the recruiting trail and sell that elsewhere then that can be a good first step but man it's uh going to be a going to be an interesting run to it to see how things go with uab uh any other uh any other names or hires or anything else we want to highlight before we get out of here um can i just say that dominic in the chat he did drop ed reed at bethune Goodman. Uh, oh there's yeah dominic yeah, just do a little just google Trippin ed reed him yeah. yeah just search on instagram that's where all the whatever it was <laughs> yeah that's are we impressed with this overall cycle because no. like, I looked at this and I was like, I really want to use Luke Fickle as like my favorite hire, but he was also my surprise hire. Mm -hmm. Right. And so like I've been filling out my categories. It was. Um, no, overall, it does not have the star quality, uh, both in terms of program and coach that we've had in some other hires or other cycles where like, I mean, we just had USC, LSU, Notre Dame. Notre. That's that's Oklahoma. the thing like Florida. If if we wouldn't have just had Florida, last year's Miami. Yeah, if we wouldn't have just had last year's cycle with like two sitting P5 coaches leaving for other P5s, I think having Matt Rule return to Nebraska and Luke Fickle jumping from Cincinnati to Wisconsin would have been a much bigger deal, but I think in comparison to what we had last year this class just kind of feels like, yeah, okay. Yeah, there were like 6 of the 20 to 30 most important college football programs changed jobs last year and that's not what we got here but interesting if you look at our year-over-year -year growth by month just in, internally in our analytics it's like 
think December is like kind of flat. Yeah, like we're still we still did well, but it, it's like what what happened last December? Oh, like every, every major job opened. Oh, the year over okay. year, like the the right. last December yeah. when November twenty two versus November twenty one. Yeah, when Brian yeah. Kelly up out of nowhere is named the head coach at LSU, it's like what? Huh? Squeeze me? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, overall, to answer your question, Bud, I'm with you. It's it it is not last year. Um, but there's to the thing that is the through line to me. In addition to like Q Freeze at Auburn, Matt Rule at Nebraska, Dion, Dion, you know the the programs that are changing conferences and going through a coaching change amid the conference change. It's like it's a big time. It's a big season. But this goes back to something else that we've been talking about: space out the calendar better because all these hirings are happening in a congested amount of time while signing day is going on, the transfer portal is going on. It all gets lost in the shuffle. Space it out. Let's go. I, yeah, let's have a coach hiring window. All right? We'll have a cover three <laughs> coach hiring window special. No coaches can change jobs until the window opens. Mm-hmm. When the window closes, no more coaches move. If you're going to impose windows on the players, impose them on the coaches. I love it. Great suggestions here on the Cover 3 podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernell. You can follow him at BloodLU3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. See y'all. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.